I think somebody here wants to talk about vampires. But I want to hear you talk about vampires. What can you tell me about them? Forget what you think you know. Vampires exist. My name is Blade. I was born half human, half vampire. They call me the Daywalker. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. Welcome to the now playing Blade movie retrospective series. Now that's the guy I want to hear about. I want to hear about this character, Blade. Part of the now playing Marvel comic movie series. Ooh, so exciting, isn't it? Hosted by Jacob. So, you're the hunter they all fear. Stuart. Ready to die. I was born ready, motherfucker. And Arnie. He was born perfect. And just like the great white shark, this guy has never had to evolve. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review a new Blade film. What the hell makes you think you know about hunting vampires? There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Such as detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. It's open season on all suckheads. Let's get down to business, shall we? Today we're discussing Blade 2, starring Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, Ron Perlman, Luke Goss, and directed by Guillermo del Toro. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. And is that a big phallus coming out of your mouth, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> this is Stuart in L.A. Yo, A, yo, S, what's up? This is Jacob. <laughs> Enjoying your Krispy Kremes, are you? <laughs> you know what happened to that character, right, Jacob? I do. And they killed him. <laughs> <laughs> do you have the detonator, Arnie? I'll push it twice. <laughs> And we are here discussing Blade 2, and I just want to take a moment to discuss when this film came out. Or more specifically, how far down the rope had Wesley Snipes fallen that he needed to do Blade 2? I looked it up. He had just done Art of War and Play It to the Bone, so he was still doing movies that were in movie theaters, (laughs) but they weren't hits, so that's where Wesley was. This was the first time he'd ever done a sequel. He turned down Major League 2. He wouldn't turn it down now. He might do the series. <laughs> Don't they have direct video major leagues now? I'm sure he'd even be up for those. I'm not sure that he's not in them. <laughs> he's not. He couldn't get work release program. <laughs> but no, Wesley Stice was out. But wh- what I was thinking of is just so that we're put in the right frame of mind. This came out in March of 2002, about one month to the day before Spider-Man. So when we're looking at these Marvel comic movies, I felt it was important to contextualize that at this point when people are thinking Marvel comics movies, when Blade came out, Blade was the Marvel comics movie. I mean, all Marvel had to hold up as a big pillar was Howard the Duck until Blade. But now Blade's star is kind of fallen as Spider-Man would come out and take over. And so it was a new era for comic book films. Plus, X-Men had already come out in this time, too. So Marvel had really become something with comic book movies in the time since Wesley's first time as this character. Yeah, I still wonder how much people saw Blade, though, as Marvel comics. Of course, the people into the comics would know that. But 
I still, I'm not seeing the Marvel scroll. Yes, they give credit to the creators and you see Stan Lee's name up there. But I guess by now, now that we've had the Dark Knight and we've had Kick-Ass, we're used to edgier superhero films. So, you know, the X-Men films kind of did that, but we still weren't used to R-rated Marvel comic films. I mean, Blade still had that. Very true. This is R-rated and being directed this time by Guillermo del Toro, who at this point I knew as the guy from Mimic. (laughs) That's more than I knew him for in 2002. I mean, I'm a big del Toro fan now that he's done Hellboy. Hopefully there's a Hellboy 3. I'd love to do a Hellboy retrospective, one of my favorite comics. Love the films. You know, Pan's Labyrinth. I had no idea who Del Toro was, though, in 2002. Believe it or not, I saw Kronos, his first movie in movie theaters. He had an art house reputation. He was going to be part of the wave of Latin filmmakers that were really going to change Hollywood, and he was marked early as someone to watch, but... Really? Was there a Latin wave of filmmakers around the time of the Macarena, too? I, <laughs> I hadn't was. heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> it was. There was indeed. I'm a big fan of the movie that got him this gig, Devil's Backbone. I think that's actually probably his best film ever, to this day. That said, I wasn't convinced to go see Blade. You know, I think I was waiting to see him do movies that I wanted to see and not necessarily take Hollywood paychecks, which is kind of what I would equate this to. I gotta say, though, coming into this retrospective, this is the one Blade film I have not seen. Watching it for the Now Playing Retrospective is the first time I've seen it, and I was looking forward to it now because I knew it was Del Toro. If nothing else, I was hoping he could bring his touch to this film. So I was excited to sit down and actually watch this film this time because I am more familiar with his work now. Yeah, And what's funny is, to me, this is the only Blade film I'd only seen once, and that was in theaters opening day. And I had not seen this on video since, but I was looking forward to going back. I've seen three more times than I can count. I've seen one a handful of times, but two just the once. Were you missing Norrington that much? Honestly, I I gotta say, it's nice to see a real director in the directing chair. If nothing else, I feel like we're in the hands of somebody who knows how to tell a story and make compelling images. That's very true, but we'll get into that as we go on through. Well, I guess then that means a plot summary. We start with Blade's rescue of Whistler. While in the last film, we all thought Whistler was dead, it turns out that he was turned into a vampire, but then tortured for two years until rescued by Blade and Blade's new weapons maker, Scud. What up, B? (laughs) They rescue Whistler and inject him with a cure, but wait to see if he's truly human or vampire. Meanwhile, in Prague, Jared Nomak roams the streets as a new type of vampire called a Reaper. A vampire that feeds on other vampires and has such a voracious appetite that he must feed daily, causing an epidemic as hundreds of vampires are turned into monstrous reapers. More, reapers are immune to silver, garlic, and all other vampire weaknesses save for sunlight. This is a problem for vampire elder Eli Damaskinos, for if the reapers continue to reproduce, plain old vanilla vampires like his clan will be wiped out. So he calls for Blade and asks Blades to team up with Damaskinos' blood pack a group of vampires specially trained to kill Blade, led by Damaskinos' daughter Nisa in fighting the Reapers. Blade at first refuses, thinking anything that kills vampires is a good thing, but Damaskinos points out that when the Reapers have wiped out vampires, they'll turn on humans. So Blade enters an uneasy alliance with the Reapers, especially racist blood pack member Reinhardt, played by Ron Perlman, the future Hellboy. Their investigation leads to the death of several members of the pack, and Blade finds his loyalty shaken as he develops an attraction to Nisa, but Jared approaches Whistler with vital information. Reapers are not a natural evolution of vampires, but rather, Jared is genetically engineered by Damaskinos. 
Damaskinos is trying to develop the perfect vampire, immune to all weaknesses including sunlight. But to do that, Damaskinos needs Blade's blood to study. Whistler tries to warn Blade, but Damaskinos captures them both with the aid of Scud, who was Damaskinos' familiar. But while Blade is being studied, Jared infiltrates Damaskinos' lair. Jared kills Damaskinos and also bites Nisa, but Blade escapes. He and Whistler fight their way through Damaskinos' troops, killing Scud and Reinhardt before entering into a showdown with Blade. Blade slays Jared, but Nisa was bitten and will turn into a reaper. So in a touching moment, Blade carries Nisa out to watch as the sun rise as she turns to ash. And credits roll. So quite a bit different. In the last movie, I was talking about how it was a very simple plot structure, all about Blade, Blade's fight, Blade's family. Here, it's all about family, but not Blade's. And a very complex, virtually Shakespearean kind of drama the type of thing that, having seen the Hellboy films and Pan's Labyrinth, is the kind of stuff I equate with Del Toro. So, it really makes me wonder how much of a role Goyer had in writing this. I'm right there with you, Arnie. I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, that's in Hellboy, that's in Hellboy 2, Hellboy, Hellboy... You know, I'm going through this, I'm like, either Del Toro just stole a ton of stuff from Goyer from doing Blade 2, or what I think, Del Toro had a much bigger role in the story here and the way it plays out. Because having seen Blade and having seen Blade 3, we'll talk about it when we get there, I don't think Goyer has this kind of storytelling technique in him. It goes deeper than this, guys. I don't know if you know it or not, but Del Toro is... uh co-author of a series of vampire novels called The Strain Trilogy. I read the first one. And guess what? It's about vampires who have very long tongues that bite people. <laughs> yeah. You know, Hollywood writing credits are always a tricky thing. And oftentimes you'll see one name on the screen when 20 people have added to it. I will say that on one of the bonus features, Del Toro talks about the notebook he started when he began writing the film. He can be a, a tad obsessive about details and that kind of thing. It's hard to know chicken or egg who came up with first, but I will say this. This has the fingerprints of Del Toro on it. He makes sure that you know early and often that he is the author of this, whoever wrote the screenplay. And I do believe Goyer probably had a big hand in writing it. I agree. It definitely seems like Goyer probably came up with the original script and a lot of the visualizations. You know, you say the long tongue. That's something that Goyer could have come up with, with creature design and whatnot. But what strikes me so much watching this is how different it feels from the last Blade film. Whereas the last one felt like an action-y car commercial, this really feels cinematic. I love the way it's shot, the way it's lit, but with the whole story and everything, yeah, it reminded me so much. I just kept thinking, Hellboy, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, that... I just found myself having a totally different type of experience watching. And it's so weird to me because when I watched this the first time, like I said, I knew Del Toro from Mimic and I was kind of heaving a big sigh. Now I know him from these other films and I'm like, yeah, this is, you said the right word there, fingerprint all over. And I know, Stuart, one of your big complaints with the first film is you would expect a vampire story to have more horror in it, and it didn't have that horror for you. There's times in this film where I'm like, okay, this feels almost predator-ish, this almost feels alien-ish. I mean, I felt the horror element, which, if you're talking about Del Toro, there's got to be a horror element. The guy does monsters, he loves monsters. I remember around the time of Hellboy 2, they asked him if he was ever going to do a romantic comedy, and he says, Sleepless in Seattle can go fuck itself. Monsters are the most beautiful creatures in the universe. <laughs> he loves monsters, and so I definitely felt there was more of that horror element 
in this film, and that's got to be directly because of him. Actually, I know for a fact, one of the big things that he said time and again is when he was approached to do this, he's like, yeah, I'd like to do a Blade film, but only if you let me make it scary. I don't want to do it like the last one was. And I want to thank him for that, because I wasn't a fan of the last one. And I do instantaneously feel like I'm in better hands now. I feel like everything is improved. It's a step up from Blade, and on every level. Even Wesley Snipes, who I kind of found dull the last time, he has a bit, um, minuscule, but he has a bit more charm as Blade. Well... Let's get into the story a little bit and Blade's portion of it. With the Blade portion, we start off and he is going after Whistler. And we get this big monologue about who Blade is and his relationship with Whistler. And Yes, they recap the whole entire first film for you, basically. Which is all you need to do. Skip Blade 1. <laughs> this will catch you up. <laughs> and I knew, like I said, I hadn't seen this before. I knew something was up with Whistler because why were they spending so much time talking about him in this opening narration? I'm like, okay, he's obviously coming back or he's going to play a major part in this story or else why even mention him? I gotta say, this was something that really pissed me off on first watching, because, I mean, in the last film, Whistler was dead as a doornail, right? Bringing him back felt so cheap to me. Well, you know what they say about Assume. We heard a gunshot, and we saw a hand go limp and the gun fall down, but we never saw a bullet enter skull. Yep. No body, no death. That's the rule in comic books, because this kind of thing is very common. Yes, he could have shot it at the wall and couldn't have gone through with it. We don't know. So they didn't retcon it. They are holding to, they even kind of refilm that scene from Blade's point of view. They're not cheating, but it is a surprise. I did not think that that character had lived. You know, and... When we rewatched Blade 1, I was really watching that suicide scene closely to see if it was a cheat. And you're right, Stuart. We don't see what I remembered seeing when I saw this in theaters. And in fact, the ending scene in Moscow had originally been shot that Blade was going to show up and be hunting Whistler, much like, I guess, Corey and Corey at the end of Lost Boys 2. But they ended up going with just random vampire instead, so I guess they kind of wrote themselves that back door. It still feels a little bit like a cheat. Well, let's get into it. They explain why he went to Moscow, and now he's touring through Russia and Eastern Europe trying to find Whistler. Who's torturing him? Vampires. It doesn't matter who. <laughs> 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 I mean, you understand my point. It's like everyone that was involved with Stephen Dork's game is gone. Like, it's not them. It's just some other vampires found him. Like, that's the gap that makes less sense to me. Here's the part where I'm going to blame Goyer for the story. There's no payoff for Whistler. They bring him back to bring him back. Like, shouldn't it be that the bad vampires that Blade teams up with, they're the ones who are torturing him and they were, I don't know, Manchurian candidating him, you know, getting him so they can get close to Blade. I mean, that's how movies and stories work. Actually, that is the case. That's how they got him to Prague was by moving Whistler around and having Scud, who, as I said in the plot summary, is the familiar, they are moving Blade where they want him to go by moving Whistler to these places. So yeah, that was there. But why do they need Blade in Prague? I'm failing to see how this plays off in the story. That Scud, he had already teamed up with Scud. That would have happened because he needed a new Whistler. So I'm just failing to see where is the actual storytelling technique where they need to bring Whistler back. 
I think they just wanted to have him, and it's a way of hitting the reset button. They realized that this movie would suffer without that relationship between Blade and his mentor, and I think they just wanted to correct it. Because not only do they bring him back, the point was he got bit by a vampire, right? So if he's coming back, he's got to be the bad guy, or at least struggling with controlling his vampire ways. A few asides are made about he doesn't look right, but that goes nowhere. He is healed with a magic shot, and the next day he's looking at sunlight... And totally fine. I can't understand how it could be that easy for him, and yet everyone else must get the ninja sword. Yeah, that really is a problem for me, is in the last film, they try to cure Karen. In this film, they cure Whistler. You'd think that if there was any humanity in Blade and Whistler, they'd be like, all right, let's try injecting them first. And if that doesn't work, then we'll cut their heads off. I think that a cure is too simple, and that it's used so sparingly, but Whenever they happen to need to save a character, there it is. It's there for the good guys. The bad guys need to get killed. It is a problem. Well, let me ask you the more central question, since he's just back because they wanted him back. Did you need Chris Christopherson in this film? Do you feel like you needed to have him here? Because he's not here for plot reasons. He's here because of nostalgia and goodwill from the last movie. I guess he was a popular character that fans demanded return. I don't think he was that popular. It felt about as connected as when Jamie Kennedy came back for Scream 3. You know, I mean, like, there's no reason for it, but fans demand that we see you. I think Goyer may have thought fans demanded it, and that's why he wrote him back. You know, it seems like almost during every big action scene, Whistler disappears. I mean, we'll get into it, but he goes missing all the time in this film and then pops up after the big fight. Yeah, there's supposed to be this big suspicion of, is he evil, is he evil? But man, does it not pay off ever (laughs) it gets forgotten it doesn't just get dropped it gets forgotten by the end of it it's not even on the table arnie you mentioned the plot summer where you find out that scud is the turncoat like i was actually surprised by that because whistler you know you have this moment where blades like keep your friends close and your enemies closer like i'm like okay that's why they brought whistler back because by the end of this film he's going to be the turncoat no it's scud like they've thrown out Just basic screenplay 101 right here. Yeah, I wish it had paid off more. I wish there was more to it than this. But it's handled in such a matter-of-fact, perfunctory way. It's just gotten out of the way like homework so that we can have our heroes back together and start the real story. Indeed. With Scrappy-Doo as their new sidekick. (laughs) You didn't like Scud, Stuart? (laughs) He's scrappy. I mean, you know, he's written to be the identifying character for the young kids who might not relate to Wesley and Chris, but truly he's so unctuous and annoying that I mean, ugh, I don't know, this actor bugs me. He's also on Walking Dead. I don't, and he plays a scuzz bucket on that too. I just, I guess it's his thing, you know. He, but he was also in the Boondock Saints and I enjoyed him in that movie. But yes, he does play a white power racist in The Walking Dead. Not the most flattering role. Yeah, he's good in that. Not likable, but good. Yeah, I'm just talking about his likability factor. I'm not saying whether he's well utilized or not. I'm never glad to see this guy on screen. And I just want to call out, you guys probably didn't even notice this or know what it was, but Scud wearing a BPRD shirt. That's the team Hellboy's on. So it just seemed like a weird coincidence that they have Hellboy imagery in this movie and Del Toro would go on to do Hellboy. I'm wondering if Del Toro didn't know that that was his next project and maybe that's why he did this. No, he did know at this point. Mm. So it was a definite little plug for his own next film. Much like John Carpenter putting the original Thing in Halloween before going on to make The Thing. 
which you can hear our podcast of later this fall. He kind of reminded me of the lead singer of the Stone Temple Pilot, Scott Weiland, for some reason. I like STP and Velvet Revolver. I'll go with that. But I have to say, as somebody who saw this movie in my 20s, he was my identifying character and I liked him. And I was kind of sad to see him go. I thought he brought a slick cool that was kind of needed. I like that attitude far more than Wesley Snipes, who's, we said this last time, he's very one note. I I think I'm going to equate it this time. He's like the Terminator and it's hard to root for the Terminator. You need Linda Hamilton and Edward Furlong around. And I guess in this movie, Norman Reedus is Edward Furlong. Arnie, so you're saying Scud is your Stephen Dorff for Blade 2? I I am, yes. (laughs) That's totally what he is. I mean, he kind of looks like him. I mean, Yeah, that's that's what I thought. And you know what? I wanted to have this despise for him because he's playing such a caricature here, but it's so over the top, I kind of enjoyed it. (laughs) Like, he's the total opposite of Whistler, and I really don't like Whistler. So maybe that's why I liked him, that he shows almost no respect for Blade and none by the end of this film. You know, going around calling him B and all that. Like, it just seems like... Someone who was raised on MTV wanted to write a street character, and this is what you come up with. And there is a yes. certain charm to that. Okay. I, you had me, then you lost me. But he's <laughs> it, not so bad I'm angry, but I do feel like every time he's on screen, it's pandering and just annoying. But I, I guess more centrally, you're right. I'm not a big Whistler fan. I'm not really even a big Blade fan. These guys are all kind of failing me. I actually like the new crew that's coming in, the sort of UN for vampires that realizes they have to side with Blade this time. I said the last time that Blade was too one-note and that he needed some X-Men to fill out his Wolverine. Well, he gets them in this movie. Yep. I do say, though, before we hit the blood pack, they did try to make Blade a little bit more... I guess one and a half dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> he he now fetishizes his weapons. Did you notice that? He's like, he keeps his gun in a silk box and he kisses his car. I didn't notice that, but I did notice his traces of personality that weren't anger. I mean, he had one a little bit more humor, and I use that word very lightly, but he had just a little bit more lightness to him than the last movie where I felt like every line he was barking at someone about how angry he was. But yes, Blade does get a Motley Crew the Blood Pack. I mean, this seems like such a standard movie thing to do. Let's take the guy that hates vampires, hunts them, and let's stick him with a whole team of vampires. You know, I love this group here. Of course, it's Ron Perlman, who anytime he's on screen, I'm probably enjoying his performance at least. You got some dude there, what was his name, Lighthammer with a giant hammer. It's, again, it feels very comic booky, but I'm enjoying it. It's fun, which we've all said, Blade, as a character, doesn't seem to have a lot of fun. So I'm glad they brought in a group where they could introduce some excitement, some fun to the movie. Yeah, they're the rainbow colors to his all-blackness. He is just dark all the time, and they bring just a sense of whimsy and internationalism to it, right? I mean, they're all, like, one's a French girl, the other guy is, like, Maori. He's got Maori tattoos on him, and there's maybe an Arab. I'm not sure about Assad, but you get the sense that they're selected from the entire world, and Blade feels more international this time. They're in Prague. I'm liking the influences that Del Toro is bringing in here, the European style. I like that quite a bit. I wasn't really familiar with Ron Perlman at this point by name. I became familiar with him from Hellboy and then retroactively went, oh yeah, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. But yeah, I like this group. But I'm with you, Jacob. When I first saw this, I was pissed. 
I'm like, this old story again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they're gonna enter into an uneasy alliance. I was, like, ready to leave the theater. I was so pissed off. It just felt so damn stock. First they revive Whistler half-assed, and then they do this. There's a bigger vampire who now vamps on vampires. I was not going with this at all when I first watched it. This time, I'm a little bit cooler with it, though. You know, I had to get over the fact that it's a bunch of common tropes and realize that, yes, it's common tropes, but Goyer's doing them really well. And see, I was really enjoying all this stuff. You know, you have a couple of the vampires from the Blood Pack. They go to recruit Blade, and they're dressed as ninjas. Like, I love... Okay, ninja vampires. Great mashup. I'm liking that. Or Abe Sapien dressed vampires. Take your pick. Yeah, yes. They look very, uh, like the Nazi clockwork uh, in Hellboy. You know, we've been introduced to these vampires that feed on vampires. Like... There just seems to be more fun going on. Just, you know what? We're not going to take this so seriously. And that's why I guess I was enjoying the tone almost right off the bat with this film. I mean, you got Blade using his coat to be like a matador with these vampires on motorcycle. Like, it just seems like Blade isn't necessarily lightening up with his mood, but the environment around him is. And it just works better. It, It works to see Blade as kind of this fish out of water where everything's a little bit more absurd, a little bit more maybe even cheerful and he's this quiet somber character like i think it's working better at least it is for me you know jacob you mentioned that ninja fight and all right i have one problem with this movie i love the action in it but i know where this is going (laughs) wow this is some terrible ass cgi you know what it reminded me of had the matrix reloaded come out yet no, but The Matrix obviously had. and Well, I'm talking about a very specific scene in Matrix Reloaded where Neo takes on, like, the thousands of Agent Smiths, and it just basically turns into a video game. This really felt like Mortal Kombat 4 or something on the PS3. I mean, they don't even look human. They're shiny, like, computer graphics. This happened a little bit during the opening fight where Blade's fighting the Eurotrash vampires, but it got really out of control with the ninjas. And I gotta admit something. I said I hadn't seen Blade 2 before. I had seen this scene. I was flipping through channels one day, and I'm like, ooh, looks like some ninjas are fighting. (laughs) And I started watching it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awful. The CGI was so bad, I just turned the channel. I had no idea what I was watching, and I have these flashbacks come rushing to me. (laughs) When I get to the scene, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was Blade 2. And it really was this bad. Yeah, you know, I complained a lot about the CGI in the last film. For the most part, it it stepped up in this film. But yes, this ninja fight is bad. And unfortunately, it's not an isolated incident. While there is some that's better than others, anytime they try to get into wire foo, they just never even did wires. It's not like how they normally do CGI where they film an actor and then move it by computer through space. These are quite obviously 3D models that are not people doing things that people could not do. And it's cheap, and it's bad, and again, 30 days before Spider-Man, I realized this didn't have Spider-Man's budget, but it's not that I had to give it a certain time. They could do good CGI at this time, and this wasn't it. Really? You feel like the artificiality of the people is very different from Spider-Man? I guess we'll get there when we get there, but it was giving me Spider-Man flashbacks, particularly when they're doing the flips, when they first come into Blade's warehouse and all of that. It really felt like the graphics in Spider-Man. It felt like, oh yes, now we're watching video game stuff. You guys seem to take that as a knock, but I think a lot of people like watching video game graphics and violence. 
But I think they always want it to look real. They don't want it to look like a cutscene where we've gone to the Atari 2600. I would equate this to the Fantastic Four Corman film when the Human Torch shows up in no, his lawnmower, man. No, it wasn't that bad. Then you are pulling the fire alarm over a match. There's no way that this is anything comparable to a really low-budget movie like Corman. It is obvious that it is artificial, but it is still professionally done. And I gotta say, you know, Arnie, with Blade, you kept talking about Wesley Snipes, how he's this great martial artist, and, you know, I really didn't speak up. I didn't see it. Okay, whatever. I like martial art films. I gotta say, in this movie, I saw that martial arts side of Wesley Snipes. They really brought that in. There's some great fights here. So I don't know if it was budget, why they couldn't actually do the real wire foo stuff. Obviously, Snipes has the physicality to do it. It wouldn't be too much of a problem. So I don't know if it's budget constraints or if CGI and being able to do triple flips in the air was this big new thing and they wanted to go with that. Here's the thing. In the last film, they used Wesley Snipes so much better because here they're CGIing Blade so much that I didn't get a feel for Wesley's chops. I'm going to split the difference and say I didn't like the action in either movie. I'm still not one over. I see what they're trying to do here. I do feel like the sets, the art direction, the look of this movie is so much sharper. But when it comes down to ninja time, I'm still checking out. And it's happening an awful lot. And here's the thing is, I'm loving it. I am loving how much action we're getting and the visual style of the action. I'm really feeling adrenalized, despite the fact that I think the CGI is bad. We go from... The big fight before Blade rescues Whistler to this fight maybe five minutes later, and I'm really enjoying it because it's a variety. You know, the first time he's fighting a bunch of people on a motorcycle, now he's fighting a couple ninjas in front of the lights. It's so stylish and just so kinetic. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm not getting bored by having too much action. I gotta ask, when you're bit by a vampire, can you suddenly do martial arts? Why is it that every vampire can do flips and tie bow? It just makes me want to get bit by a vampire. Like, I don't have to go to the gym anymore. You do become almost peak perfection body-wise. Plus, they're hundreds of years old. They've had time to practice. (laughs) Yeah. Pearl wasn't exactly up on his ninja skills. Slacker. (laughs) It's always one. I, I gotta ask you, sir, do you like action films? Because I'm, I'm right with Arnie here. Like, I was bored in the first one besides the opening and closing action scenes. This movie, like, throughout, I'm enjoying the action. I'm like, this is a good action film. No, you probably got me. I'm not a big action movie goer. I don't see a whole lot of them, and, and I usually don't get excited by them. I'm usually only excited by action, to me, that feels tactile and real. And that usually means real stunt people. You know, had they gotten parkour people? and they were really doing jumps and leaps and all that, it would have felt real to me. But this fakey stuff where they cut around and it's edited out, no. Most modern action movie aesthetics, I don't get into. It does nothing for me. And it's a problem in Blade because you're not going to get scared and the story is pseudo-incomprehensible. So, yeah, if you don't like this kind of action, you're kind of in trouble. You see, and here I'm thinking that This is like a great ballet of violence, you know? It's so well choreographed and just like a dance with swords. And I think that, yes, Snipes is perfect in the fact that he has the body's control to do these kinds of motions, even though they did some speeding up of his motions and whatnot. But, yeah, I found this to be, for lack of a better term, beautiful. Well, I've never cared for the John Woo aesthetic. I think of him as being a pioneer of the ballet of violence and all that. It's never meant much to me. And full confession here, I like The Matrix less when it became an action movie. I actually like the first 
first half of the movie when it was all about Keanu Reeves finding out reality is not what it, it seemed to be. And once he was learning the kung fu and all of that, I checked out of that movie as well. I just I don't really care for this kind of movie. And so I'm getting it a lot. And Arnie, I'm not going to give the action here the endorsement you are. I mean, like I said, I'm a big martial arts fan. To me, this isn't a kung fu film where you have some amazing choreography, but it's a dang good action film. You know, I think 90%, 95% of people that enjoy action films are going to enjoy the action in this movie. It's not something that's A-grade to me, but this is definitely a great B-grade action film. I'm liking it. I'm not talking about like B as in a B movie, but, you know, A, B, C, D, F. This is pretty dang good. But the ninjas take him to the blood pack with, as we mentioned, Lighthammer, Verlaine, Priest, Snowman, Chupa, and Reinhardt. And we get another fight, Blade versus Reinhardt. And I felt like this was kind of like being in prison. Blade had to take down the biggest guy to establish his dominance. It's such a cliche. You always got to have this kind of tension there. But it's fun. I love it. I love that Blade taunts Reinhardt into attacking him and then sticks an explosive in his head. Like, it's fun. I've seen this before in other action movies, but I like what they're doing here. They're having fun doing it, and I'm having fun watching it. Clarification. When Perlman asks Snipes, do you blush? Is he talking about the fact that he's black or the fact that he has blood in his veins? I couldn't tell whether he was knocking him for being human or African-American. No, they were talking about blood in the veins because it comes back later on. No, no, they were talking about African-American. Were they? It's very unclear, and they lose the line twice, and I'm like, huh, I still don't get it. It's actually an in-joke. While doing promotions for Blade, they went to Germany, and a guy in Germany asked Wesley Snipes if black people could blush, and Wesley Snipes kind of went off on the guy. Oh, well, see, that I would have enjoyed. (laughs) Show me that footage, but don't put it in the movie. Film it as an outtake, or talk about that in the director's commentary. I think that's very funny, and it helps explain it a lot. As it is, it feels like an awkwardly written line. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I never got whether Reinhardt was really racist or just dumb. It never goes on anywhere. If he started continually degrading other races and other religions and things, maybe Reinhardt would come off more Nazi than he does in this film. Yeah. But as it is, it's hard to buy Ron Perlman as a white supremacist. And they're introduced to the guy whose name I hate to say, so we're going to call him Eli. <laughs> Damaskinos. Did I say it right? Uh, you did. And even okay. with the the accent, because yes. they're all speaking a foreign language here, and this... Well, they gotta have all countries, you know, there's a German, all that, so this is a Greek, <laughs> and he's, of course, represented as, like, a, a frail, old Nosferatu-looking guy, but played by a young actor. Is it a young actor? Then that was some damn convincing makeup. No, yeah, no, yeah, he's, like, our age. Wow, did not know. I didn't look him up before the show. Here's my problem with Damaskinos is they give the dude with the really hard accent to understand to explain all the exposition to tell us what's going on with the Reapers and I had no idea I'm like okay Reapers go after vampires they're talking about virus and mutagens and I thought they were fearing the Reefers anyway so (laughs) (laughs) don't fear the Reefer even more of a poor choice is the infected the Reapers all have this white skin and are bald and that's how you know that they're bad, right? So, when you make 
the head guy of the other side look like them, it's very distracting. And that didn't really play out either. I mean, it did in a way when you find out that they're all genetically engineered by him, perhaps from him. But then so is Nisa, who I don't think Wesley would be crushing on if she <laughs> had the family resemblance. But I think Nisa is a born daughter. She's a pure blood. Yeah. So Damaskinos, you know, knocked some boots and Nisa was born. Whereas the others are like clones. Test two, baby. Literally. Yeah, I didn't really understand any of that, but... Because you couldn't understand his accent. <laughs> I definitely problem. could. <laughs> Who is Damaskinos? You know, I, when writing the summary, it's just, they only say that he's a representative of the ruling body of the vampire nation who are all glad that Blade offed that prick, Frost. Yeah, who knows? I don't like this kind of mythology building where there's all these tribes. It's like why I can't get through an Underworld movie. It's like they're all about, like, family lineage and, like, I can't follow it. I'm not going to draw a family tree for you for a vampire movie. <laughs> it does get confusing because I thought those were all the ruling families and their secret thousand-year-old right. lair in the middle of Los Angeles. And now there's older ruling yeah. class. Yes, it's all very confusing and poorly explained, and I just want to move on. I agree with you, Stuart, though. I said in the last podcast, Underworld takes it too far, and I liked what Blade 1 did with it. Here, I'm kind of still liking it, because I feel like I don't need a family tree. I just kind of wanted one when they were trying to say, yeah, we're a bigger, badder vampire body. But they couldn't off Frost for some reason. We had that same problem last time. Frost was granted diplomatic immunity by somebody. Somebody liked him. It's best to just move on. Yeah, perhaps so. Whoever Damaskinos is, he's brought Blade here specifically so that he can tackle a problem that they mutually will have, which is that there is a, follow me here, a vampire cancer passed through the saliva that has mutated and created a subgenus of vampire called a reaper that actually sucks the mucus out of vampires. They don't seem to be attacking humans, right? I took this slightly differently. I had taken okay. it as that vampires had evolved, and the next stage of their evolution was the Reaper. Now, the Reaper virus was then spread when one Reaper bit a vampire through that Reaper's saliva. But it started as like, you know, kind of like X-Men. Somebody was born a Reaper. And they do make a point later on that the first Reaper, Nomak, all the other ones have to feed within a relatively short period of time, or they'll die off, but he can continue to live. Stuart, I'm there with you. They talked about something about blood cancer in that, and it was all in that accent, so it kind of just went by me. <laughs> and it's all a lie. <laughs> he even brings out his lawyer, and that's no help either. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, just show me something. And I gotta say, I, I feel like the best scene in the movie for me, because I'm not looking for action here, necessarily. I'm looking for a good story with some cool visuals, was at the beginning where we sort of are introduced to this new baddie. It starts actually in a prog blood bank, and the setup's really ingenious because you don't know where the threat is coming. It starts with this guy walking in, and you think, ah, he's a vampire. And then he sits down next to another guy who's coughing and looking really scary. I'm like, no, he's the vampire. And then this woman comes out and says, we're ready to see you, Nomak, takes him back, and they walk past a room that's got blood all over the floor, and I'm like, no, they're the vampire. I'm like, <laughs> by this one, I have no idea what it's going to be. And it really is neat in the way that it set up human 
vampire and this reaper thing all very neatly in an introductory scene because of course the blood bank is being run by vampires it's a great economical way to get victims to come in and give them what they're looking for the guy straps on these like freddy talon needle suction things to drain his body and it turns out that there's something worse than vampires this reaper thing and i thought that that was kind of cool he actually turns to the security camera and says i hate vampires and i thought huh this is going to be a different kind of story and so i was actually pulled in by the reapers i actually thought they were an interesting device maybe it's just the horror aspect they're more threatening than any vampire i had seen in the original blade I agree, and that's what kind of turned me off the first time was because I was here to see Blade fight vampires, not Blade fight with vampires against these alien creatures that I felt were really ripping off alien with their mouth protrusions. But also Predator, because they had the sideway jaw yeah, come open. I thought that, too. Do we have to bring up AVP, too? It's a Predalien. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Stuart. I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> no, but it, there's no doubt about it. And in fact, this whole movie, the fact that you have this international team of people hunting this alien-slash-predator kind of thing that was a mutant, is actually bringing me back memories of specifically Alien Resurrection, which had Ron Perlman in it. But yeah, this time around watching it, I was really taken by the whole Reaper idea, the Reaper aesthetic. You know, it is creepy how their jaws bifurcate there. I like that. I like the idea of the lower jaw falls off. They walk into the sewer at one point, and the first thing they find is just a pile of lower jaws, and it leaves the scar on their chin that allows them to separate. It's a frightening thing when it stretches back. It is frightening to behold. It's a horrible last image to see when it's coming for you. And I like the fact that the tongue is the one doing the action rather than the fangs. The fangs neutralize. It shoots some kind of toxin that paralyzes you, but the work's done by the tongue. Isn't it always? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Stuart, it sounds like, at least when it comes to the Reapers, you're enjoying the horror aspect with them. Yeah, I think so. That's one of the things that stuck out that you said with the first Blade is that you wanted more horror. I, th- I want less fashion models and more frightening characters. I mean, I feel like the concept of vampires keeps getting further and further away from a monster and more to a beautiful, tragic goth person, and I want to get it back to its core. I'm here for horror, and although I understand this is a hybrid, it's a horror-slash-action movie, it still needs to have some scares in it. And yes, Reapers are working for me in a way that Stephen Dorff and any of those people in the last one never could. Even La Madra. Yeah, whatever that was. The Cuisinart of Blood. Yeah, I really like the Reapers bringing in that horror aspect. The way they move this kind of weird, jerky, zombie-like motions. You know, when they're down in the sewers, you get a bunch of them. They're crawling all around the walls. It gave me a very Aliens feel. The yep. way they could surround the air ducts and that. I like this. I'm not a big horror fan, but I'm right there with you, Stuart. Like, when you're dealing with vampires or any of those supernatural things, like, you want that horror element in there. You want something to be scary. That's the whole point of having monsters, is it? Yeah, you need to have it occasionally. I understand that there's people that want to see it as a blade. You know, he's cool because he is half vampire, and that's part of his style, and that's fine. But give me something that's not stylish. Give me something that gets under the skin. And Reapers work. So, Stuart, it's glad to hear that something's working better <laughs> in this film for you than the last one. Let's talk about, you know, I know how much you were unthrilled to see Karen Jensen. Who's that? Yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) Oh, the hematologist? Yeah, she's great. Where was she? Even even Wesley was like, 
Fuck that bitch. <laughs> Not coming back. We'll bring back Whistler. <laughs> if I got a deal with somebody, I'm going to be with Christopherson. Because that bitch got nothing. Actually, I think I heard Wesley say in one of the commentaries he wanted it to be Blade 2. Blade gets laid. <laughs> And not with her. I, I do Chris before her. He's in prison, so maybe. <laughs> well, I'm not touching that. So now we have a new female lead slash maybe love interest with Nisa. Is she working for you in this film as, as the new female lead? I think of this as Arnie really is the one that brings this up. You brought it up in Avatar and several podcasts. It's following that classic Hollywood role of if there's a male and a female and they're in the same scene together, we are to intrinsically understand that they are falling in love. <laughs> I didn't really see this as a love story until they were telling me it at the end. It was like, oh, really? Blade is upset? She's dying? This is his girl? But it doesn't play out at all to me. I guess there's a scene where she's injured underground and the light bomb goes off and she's hurt and so he offers his wrist and gives her some blood and that's meant to be, I don't know. I totally got, you know, we talked about the last movie with Blade drinking Karen's blood how is wham, bam, thank you, man, and what nine stand. When he lets Nisa uh, suck him off, suck, <laughs> suck out his blood. There's a much more tender feeling to it. Like it doesn't feel like this one night stand. Like I guess with Blade, he is so one note or one and a half note in this film that that's a big deal. I mean, there's some conversation earlier in the film between him and Nisa where she's like, "I've made peace with who I am." And Stuart, you were saying that Blade needed to do that. Like you wanted him to consider the human side and be a sympathetic to the vampire side, perhaps. Yeah. And so I felt at least Nisa, I don't know if she does much more than Karen did, but I feel she was a more likable female lead in this film. Like, yes. I like that she was strong and said, I'm a vampire, deal with it. I don't have a problem with it. You're the one with the problem. I agree she's better. I still feel like, if anything, what I got off of her wasn't thinking so much of the last movie as The Matrix. She seemed like a sort of pale version of Carrie Ann Moss's Trinity, that she even kind of looks like her. And it just, I felt like, well, if we are on this trend of The Matrix doing this kind of wire-foo world, then if Wesley Snipes is our Neo, then we need a of Trinity, and here she is. But I don't think she works as well as Karrion Moss. But she is better than that hematologist. And see, I just didn't even see necessarily another relationship here. And after watching it, I'm like, I was again thinking that Blade is like a monk. And there's the scene where Whistler's like, you're forgetting which side you're on, you know, don't let that woman fool you, things like that. And I'm like, really? I'm not really seeing it. And again, I'm not even sure why Wesley tells Whistler, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Is he saying, I'm pretending to be close to Nisa so that I remember she's my enemy? Or is he threatening Whistler saying, you're my enemy? And like we said earlier with the Whistler thing, it's just dropped. It's never explained. The whole Nisa relationship I found out when I went into the supplemental materials was mostly excised from the print. There was a lot more filmed that really delved into that relationship, including like a post-coital scene. All of that was cut, and rightly so, but because they cut it, it makes the ending really seem to come out of left field. It really did for me, but it wasn't something I felt was genuinely moving. I don't feel like they had chemistry. And in fact, I took that ending honestly as him giving Nisa a warrior's death, not necessarily as love when I first saw it. 
Blade's hard to peg as really a sexual creature. A monk is a, is a good way of thinking about it. I feel like One Note characters tend to be about their anger and their raid, and Blade, to me, just, it's hard to imagine a softer, gentler Blade. He's sharp all the time, and he's not going to be soft with anyone. I just, it's hard to see it. I'm not going to say they developed this relationship maybe even at all, but I could tell they were trying to go for something. Like I said, I thought when Blade gives Nisa his blood, I thought they were trying to play that. To me, I interpreted it as supposed to be a tender moment, a a big sacrifice for Blade to do that, that it was a sign of affection. I wish they would have developed that more. And yet, this man has had his blood drained in two movies, and it doesn't really seem to be that big a deal. He's like, (laughs) yeah, drain me. Yeah, but to give it to a vampire, the people that... That he's committed his life to hunting down and killing. So question, can he not turn full vampire if a vampire bites him? Correct. Correct, yeah, he's okay. immune to their bite. All right. He has the thirst for blood, but he's immune to all the weaknesses of the vampire, immune to the bites, all that. It's just that thirst for blood and having the strengths of a vampire that he acquired. Now, I'm just going to say, I wish they would have showed that struggle of Blade maybe actually sympathizing with the vampires because of Nisa, or maybe starting to see their side. All those complaints you had in the first one, Stuart, mm. where you wanted that vampire case to be made for Blade. I was wishing they were doing it here because I saw they were kind of toying with it, but they never really develop it. Yeah, it's still present for me. Speaking of love interests... There is one that they sort of allude to between Lighthammer and Verlaine, the Maori guy with the axe and the Run Lola Run French woman. If she knew he got bit when they were underground, why didn't she say something? She didn't. Yeah, she didn't know. He said, oh, he dug his nails into my back, but he covered the actual bite because the Reaper was also clawing into his back, and that's what she was tending to. But he used his leather collar to hide the bite. You know, my problem with that whole storyline was I had trouble keeping the blood pack straight. I think there were too many of them. It seemed like they weren't given enough time other than Ron Perlman. And I'm like, there's the curly-haired one, there's a chick. I couldn't even really keep straight how many were in the group at times. There's eight, which is a lot. Well, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I remember Perlman, Lighthammer, his girlfriend, Priest. I think those are the only ones that I could recall. Yeah, there are a lot of them. And There's Snowman, the deaf ninja Asian dude. And there's Chupa, the big guy. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. You're reminding me of these. They didn't remind me of Assad, the guy that, like, came with Nisa, he sort of was functionless, really. He ends up getting it in a pool of water. And you see, they whittle it down a little bit at the House of Pain, but a lot of the House of Pain stuff wasn't working for me because there were too many and there was too much going on and I was having trouble keeping it all straight. The blood pack needed to be a couple more main characters that we'd follow, uh, people who'd get more screen time. It seemed like most of the screen time was devoted to Ron Perlman and the rest were really just background characters and I couldn't really tell them apart except for Chupa. Do either of you guys recognize Chupa? Chupa's one of the main recurring characters in the Fast and Furious series. I was surprised to see him here because he was in the last film as the vampire who screams, I got his pig sticker and then his hand blows up. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, same actor playing a different character. Isn't he like a stuntman? No, he's just a buff actor. And he wasn't really all that buff in the first one. He buffed up for Fast and Furious between the two Blade films. But yeah, I recognized him, and so I knew him, but he didn't do anything. And when they're doing all of this other stuff in the House of Pain, 
I'm just really having a hard time following what's going on until finally they get down to Jared versus Blade on the scaffolding. It's a body count. They're not there to be characters. They're there to be killed. It's like when a bunch of teenagers show up in a Friday the 13th movie, Arnie. I mean, yeah, they're not a workable team. We need the Reapers to be able to feed on somebody, and that's why there's eight and not four. Let me say this about the House of Pain. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be this club. We talked about all the club scenes in the first Blade. This is where I feel I wish maybe we could go back to the first director for this scene because I like the club scenes a lot. This one just didn't have that same oomph to me with Del Toro directing it. It, it was missing something. I was sad to see that I lost the excitement when they got into the club here. Well, first of all, I, was I the only one who was thinking of Everlast in the House of Pain? Yes. Jump around, get, jump up yes. and get down. <laughs> yeah. But I did like some of the images in there, like the person getting their spine replaced and... Oh, I, I love that stuff. Uh, all the, you know, carving the flesh and all that. I, you know, very Del Toro stuff. I love that. I wish there was more of the, I guess, the strobe and, and some good techno music in there. It was just missing that thing that gets, kind of gets you pumping and, and want to jump up and start dancing, I guess, that I felt with those other scenes in the first Blade film. Well, you know, by this point, techno was kind of out. 2002, <laughs> when Blade 2 came out, I mean, you'd have to go to Prague to go to any club that's playing it. Also, were you guys wondering why these vampires are totally cool with people walking around with vampire-killing equipment? It just seemed weird. Maybe they're so tripped out on vampire ecstasy. I mean, there's literally vampire cocaine in this movie, which looks like uh -huh. it's stopped with blood. So maybe yeah. they're just so drugged out they don't recognize these people walking around with steaks and garlic bombs. But I just thought it was kind of weird how nonchalant they were towards that whole blood pack roaming around in there. Yeah, if I'm at like a rave, I'll be cool with a lot of things going on, except a bunch of militia-looking dudes coming in with guns. Then I think it'd be parties over. But during one of these numerous fight scenes, Jared approaches Whistler, and don't you think Whistler's gonna die again? I thought Whistler was gonna come back just to be killed again. He's just one cunt hair away from Hillbilly Heaven. <laughs> No, I was waiting for him to turn and become the bad guy. Like, I thought that's what they were building up. That's why they brought him back. So what did you guys think of the whole conspiracy? He's not an evolution, but a bioengineered, more perfect vampire. Well, <laughs> that's not a good sound. I'm still trying to understand it, frankly. I don't understand the revelation that Damaskinos created Jared. He was hoping to create what Blade is, right? That's the goal. We want to invent daywalkers. And so he has a whole box full of fetuses that he is doing genetic engineering to to make them perfect vampires like Blade, right? Yes. I got an idea. Why don't you get a pregnant woman and bite her? Like, is it that hard to make daywalkers? Is it that hard to do? That's what I... Thank you, Stuart. That's what I've been wondering. Do they not know Blade's origin? Yeah, there's a lot of pregnant women walking around. I feel like, why go to the science labs? Why get the fetuses when you can just do it all natural? Like, even Frost knew that was Blade's origin because he was hooked up with his mom. Like, instead of trying yeah. to hunt down Blade the whole time, why not just buy it? Yes, you're yes. right. I feel like if that is your ultimate goal, you really don't need to create Reaper strains. You know what, though? They always refer to Blade as a half-breed. I think they want a perfect vampire, not a half-breed. Okay. But what is Blade's weakness? He doesn't have a weakness, except what? He needs blood? The vampires seem to enjoy blood. He's not very charming. 
<laughs> he doesn't have a personality. He does I not mean, get laid. <laughs> that's the one thing he did not adopt from vampires. Vampires always have the sex appeal, and Blade did not get that. Yeah, he's not getting a bump in this one or the last one. <laughs> I wonder that myself. Blade's origin's a little too easy to reproduce. There's no radioactive spider or cosmic rays here. No. But, well, let's go with it, because what else can we do? All right, so he created Jared by accident. Jared does know that that is his dad and broke loose, turned loose, ran away, thrown out. Why is Jared wandering the streets? More to the point, how old is Jared? I mean, has he been running around for 20 years or does he age more rapidly? Yeah, it seemed like the Reaper thing was pretty new. They kind of fudged my impression that it was new and that there wasn't a whole lot of Reapers. But then you get into the sewer scenes where there seems to be hundreds of them. Yeah, it's not very clear. Uh Uh-uh, but... Yeah, they say specifically at the beginning when they're delivering the truce and asking for Blade's help that there's only 12, but that in a couple months there could be thousands. So this epidemic is just on the cusp of breaking out. I mean, it's hot and new. So I'm presuming that Jared was alive for some time, but wasn't biting vampires until very recently. Perhaps it was like the X gene. It took puberty to bring on the Reaper gene in him or something. Who knows? I'll go with that. So knowing that, that's why they get Blade. This wasn't a whole ruse to get Blade. No, it was. I thought it was a whole ruse to get Blade. Like, yeah, they wanted to get rid of Nomak, but they really wanted Blade, and this was a good excuse. That's what I got. I think it's a bit of both. I do think that Demoskinos wants Jared killed, but I also think the primary motivation was to bring in Blade. But I gotta bring up something here. I know I wasn't on the Blade Runner podcast, but I do love that movie. Did either of you get a bit of a Blade Runner feel off the whole Demoskinos-Jared relationship? Well, certainly when it comes to him confronting his father and killing him, and just the sort of action way that he looks, it was vaguely Rutger Hauer. Yeah, a little bit. So I kind of see it as, like, he made Jared, but Jared went rogue, so he needs Blade to help hunt him down. The getting Blade's blood, though, I think was number one, because he wants the bigger, badder vampire. But Jared does need to be killed, and I think Damaskinos knows that. It's very muddy around this time, and I'm not clear at all what anyone wants in these last moments as the conspiracy is coming together. All of a sudden, there's a problem between Nisa and Jared and her father. Like, she's mad at Damaskinos for even creating him. Like, he's had how many babies this guy had? Like, did she think she was the only daughter? (laughs) Yeah, I'm confused at this point because Nomak turns on Nisa when Nisa seemed to be on Nomak's side as far as their father being an evil bastard. Like, I don't understand why Nomak... uh, Okay, I understand why he turns on his father and kills him. I'm not sure how he kills him. He bites him, but... It doesn't turn him into a reaper. Yeah, he doesn't turn into a reaper. He just dies, but then he bites Nisa, and she's turning into a reaper. I think the difference is he rips out Damaskinos' throat. He visibly rips out stuff there, which normally can't kill a vampire, but I guess if if you're really old. (laughs) Or if you're weakened with reaper saliva, maybe, because Lighthammer did get nail wounds, so who knows. But normally, a reaper bite would turn, but he doesn't even do that to Damaskinos, because he doesn't deserve it, or... And he turns on Nisa for what reason? Well, he's just anti-vampire in general. He is? I mean, he kills vampires the whole movie. He says, I hate vampires. 
Yeah, but I felt he was doing that to get back at his father, and once I agree. the father's dead... Yeah. I, well, here's my problem with it. Nomak kills Nisa. I'm contending that there is a love story here, and that's why Blade gets mad, and now he killed Nomak. He doesn't have to deal with any of his feelings. Well, here's a guy that's killing vampires. He's like me. He kills him with his tongue instead of a sword. I just feel it was too easy of an out for Blade, because now he knows he could go around and just kill everyone and end the film. Bingo. That's why this infight between him and Novak does not work at all, is because they are the same thing. He even says that right up front. He's like, why would I be fighting with vampires against him? He's doing my job. But I think the argument is there that Reapers spread much faster than vampires, and when the vampires are gone, the Reapers will turn on humans. Yes, but they also die out if you don't let them eat. There's a scene where he takes out a drug dealer, and maybe that drug dealer was supposed to be human, but I just didn't see that, really. I didn't feel that as a threat. And so, almost nothing in this last climactic moment, Nisa's death, Jared's death, confronting of the father, none of it feels like emotionally it's hitting. Some of the visuals are cool, sure, but it's just not working for me as a movie. See, I was going with it, but basically in the whole kind of way of saying it's like a song, you know? I know what the movie's trying to tell me and it's enjoyable enough for me and weird enough that sometimes I just have to go with the gist of it. You know, I got the flavor, if not the exact details. Yeah, I hear you, but you hear what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely, you're not wrong. There's nothing resonant here. I mean, Reinhardt, Ron Perlman's death, not memorable. They bring back the blush line, saw him, cut him in half, it doesn't matter at all. The scud kid blowing up. I feel like all of this stuff is not very satisfying. It's working on a base level, but not working on any other level. Let me ask you guys one question, though, about this. With all of this going on with Damaskinos and his son and his daughter and everything, and the blood pack, did you kind of feel like Blade was tangential to this story? Because last time, it felt like it was very much Blade's story. Frost had turned Blade's mother. Blade was having an arc of sorts coming to terms with his own half-breedness, turning down the cure at the end. Here... Blade is brought into Damaskinos' family problems, and it's reminding me a lot like of Hellboy 2, where I felt like Hellboy and the entire BPRD were bystanders in that story. It seems even more so here. And I just gotta say, another movie about a feuding brother and sister, where the brother is also played by the same guy who plays Nomak. So yes, I got those Hellboy 2 moments here as well, Arnie. I gotta say, yeah, but... We have all agreed Blade's not very interesting, so why not bring in a relationship or a feud that has a little bit more flavor to it? I'll put a finer point on it. Do you think nobody likes Wesley Snipes? Because <laughs> I mean, like, at the end of the day, it's like, we gotta have him, but let's just drain his blood again, because I don't want to deal with him. <laughs> like, I just feel like they want Wesley on the poster, they know what he brings, he is Blade, he physically is what they're looking for, but they never want to give him a story that services him. You say that it was his story last time. And I'm kind of stretching by that. <laughs> I kind of understand what you're saying, but truly, I feel like the blade is dull. He is dull. And it's just an intrinsic problem. And I don't know whether they're trying to work around the character being dull or they just don't like Snipes and they won't write him a good part. But it's two for two here. Yeah, I just felt this one even more so than the last. If they'd done more with Whistler, if they'd done more with Scud, if they'd really stuck to that relationship and we were seeing Blade's first love or something. Something to make this an important moment in Blade's life. 
But as it is, it felt like this was an important moment in Dan Eskinos' family and the death of him and his daughter and his genetic son, but it never felt Blade, which was a disappointment. You know what I didn't like? Was Blade falling into a pool of blood? Now, we saw last film he had to feed on Karen before going. This film, he falls into a big pool of blood to feed on before going. I don't like that every movie ends with him giving in to the bloodthirst. It's like Popeye with spinach. He, he, like, drinks the blood, and now he's super blade. Yeah, but Popeye doesn't go and beat up spinach farmers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the irony is, Blade does the thing that he hates, but he gets to punish other people for it. And that's why I think I don't like Blade. <laughs> he's self-righteous. He has even the means to cure, as we see with Whistler, but he'd rather use the sword. Yeah, why aren't they just shooting hyperdermic needles at vampires with the cure, kind of like in X-Men 3? Because this film wouldn't be nearly as successful if it was called Needle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just not Blade style to be altruistic. He's there to kill. That's what I mean. He's bloodlust. And he's blaming vampires for having bloodlust. He's just like them. Well, he's more vampire than human, I can tell you that. I guess what this climax tells me is you play the crystal method and my brain turns off and my happy hormones go. Yeah, well, I'm not arguing that there isn't some base pleasures here. I think Del Toro knows how to use the camera. I do feel like some of these things look and semi-feel right, but as a movie, I've thrown up my hands. You know what I didn't see coming was how Nomak gets it, because the whole film we see that the only thing that can kill a reaper is sunlight. And the sun is about to rise, and I felt for sure that Nomak was going to get it in the sunlight. And no, they had set up earlier that there was a huge chest wall, but one weak spot from the side, and he gets stabbed from the side. I didn't see that coming. It was set up well. I liked it, because it was a change of pace. Arnie, come on. They have a whole autopsy scene. I, I know we're thinking Del Toro. He just wants to show us alien guts. But come on, they call it out in the autopsy scene that, oh, there's bone all around their heart except this one place. More to the point, you have to make Wesley Snipes the hero. It's not satisfying if the son does his job. He's <laughs> the blade. He's got to be the one to stick him and ash him. So it had to go down that way. The only question really that remains is why did he target Novak as his enemy when he's a hybrid just like he is? Hypocrite. <laughs> That said, I did think it was kind of cute how they kept bringing in Rush. You guys notice Rush? He's the only vampire that's not like a supermodel looking. He's like the balding Italian looking dude. The one that gives Blade answers on the whereabouts of Chris Christopherson at the beginning. And then he's at the club in the middle when Blade walks by and goes, oh shit, and runs in the other direction. The movie ends with him in London going to a peep show with some razor blades, thinking he's going to cut up some exotic dancers. And Blade is there instead. I love that. It was a good callback. Again, Blade might not have a lot of humor, but this film does. This film keeps it fun, not necessarily because of the leading actor, but despite him and Del Toro and maybe Goyer. Again, I don't know how much writing Goyer actually got into this film, but there's some fun with that scene. I like his line. You think I was going to forget about you? It was funny. It was great ending note because after all the drama and the slow death of Nisa to end on a fun line and a spank bank, I was happy with it. It's how we think of Blade. We don't think of Blade crying over loves as they blow away into the sun. You needed to give him this moment. And truly, I had forgotten about the guy. It was a very good callback. It was something I was not expecting. Yeah, on watching this on multiple times, now, it's great because it's so alluded to. 
because he's saying I'll be a loose end and I'll see you later and all that. I'll get you later. And he does. It is so perfectly written and set up this whole film that it's an ending that really pays off this little minor plot. It, it makes me walk out with a smile. So I guess that leaves Jacob Stewart. Do you recommend Blade 2? Jacob. You know, there's a line early on in this movie. This is a good news, bad news scenario. <laughs> I guess I'll hit the bad news first. We've talked about this. This movie has story problems. There's things that are poorly explained or just don't make sense. I think the third act in this film, I don't know what it is with Hollywood writers. Their third acts just often bomb and tank movies that have decent first and second acts. There's problems with this film. But when I'm sitting here watching it, here's the good news. I'm enjoying the action. I enjoy what Del Toro is bringing to this film. There's a visual style there with the Reapers, the way their mouths open up. When they're in the House of Pain and you're seeing all the flesh torture go on. Like, the blood cocaine. For some reason, that sticks out of my mind. I love how the vampires, they're just mixing blood with everything. This film looks good. Again, I think it's a pretty good action film. The martial arts, when they're not CGIing it up, they're fun to watch. It's keeping my attention. And... At the end of the day, I go to see a movie. Yes, I want a good story, but overall, how is it hitting me both story-wise and visually? And while the story here has some problems, the visuals are enough to let me get by those problems, especially with this third act. I enjoyed the action. I enjoyed the special effects and the creepier tone that Del Toro brought in. So I'm going to recommend Blade 2. Stewart. Everything in Blade 2 is better than Blade. So if you enjoyed Blade or you enjoyed aspects of Blade... I definitely recommend it for you. But because nothing here is bad, doesn't mean that I think that it's good. And that's what I'm really struggling with here, is I'm very meh on Blade. I want to call this blah, not Blade. It's just <laughs> blah. It's okay. It's fine. They have done everything better, and it is hitting a lot of marks. But for someone that's seeking a good vampire story, and wanting to like our hero, and wanting the villain to have a good moment, and not have it robbed and be the genetic mutation of an evil father, there's just too much here that's frustrating for me. And I gotta say, for me personally, no, I can't recommend it. It's not good. Even though it's not bad... It's not good, so I can't recommend Blade 2. As for me, you know, as I said before, when I saw this in theaters, I didn't like it. And I didn't see it again until now. But I was wrong. I think it took a decade for me to come to appreciate Del Toro's style. And I can really credit the first Hellboy for opening me to some of his ideas. And then seeing Hellboy 2 and Pan's Labyrinth and now going back and seeing Blade again... I love the visual style. I love the family drama. I love all the Del Toro-ness here. And back then, I didn't like the enemy of my enemy bit. I love it now. I didn't like the style back then. I'm in awe of it now. I like Blade more now. The way he takes charge of the blood pack. His constant verbal sparring with Reinhardt. It's just, like you said, Stuart, everything is better here. And I really like the first movie. And so, yeah, this is a very strong recommend for me. And I just can't believe that a film that I've enjoyed this much and actually respect beyond just a base pleasure, but actually respect in many ways that I've taken this long to not see. Yeah, 
I think that at the end, some of the story bits don't entirely hold up to a magnifying glass. It is kind of hard to figure out exactly where the wires were pulled. But just because we can't connect the dots doesn't mean that we're poking holes in it. It's just not overtly explained. Some things you just kind of have to go with. Or not. I just can't find any holes in the story. It's just Damaskinos didn't come out and say, by the way, Blade, my whole point was to yada, yada, yada. They didn't James Bond it. So I have to maybe connect the mental dots myself. So yeah, I highly recommend this movie and look forward to Blade 3, which previously was my favorite of the series and see if I even like that one more than this one now. Well, if they keep continuing this trajectory, I'm looking forward to Blade Trinity 2, because they're definitely perfecting it. They're close. I feel bad about giving this uh, arrow down, because I don't feel like it's a failure, but I didn't enjoy it, and so I'm right there on the borderline. I know some people will, and I recommend it for them, but for me, can't quite do it yet, but maybe next time. Hey, I know Trinity's going to be a silver bullet for you, Stuart, because it has your favorite actor, Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Well, you guys keep telling me he's good, so this is the make-or-break-it time for Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Your make-or-break-it for an actor is a Blade movie. Uh Uh-oh. It is. (laughs) For Blade and for Ryan, this will really be the determinant. After this, all bets are off, and I will not grant you a pass on Ryan Reynolds anymore if he doesn't work in this movie, because you've cited this movie as being one of his best, so... Whoa, 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 whoa. I gotta say, going into Blade Trinity, I'm feeling like Arnie with Blade 2. It's a movie I remember remember enjoying and i remember enjoying ryan reynolds i've I've never (laughs) claimed it's his best i said i remember enjoying him i'll find out when i revisit it next week well you can hear Stewart's thoughts on ryan reynolds in his review of green lantern which you can find in our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com and you can find our review of many other movies but if all the reviews in our archives aren't enough We have even more podcasts coming to some special listeners. We are starting up more bonus podcasts. If you have been missing your double dose of now playing since Final Destination ended, Stuart, Brock, and I are going to meet Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed we are with William Friedkin's Exorcist and the four films that followed it. We're going to be doing the whole Exorcist saga, starting with the classic 1973, voted by Time Magazine, the scariest movie ever made, and we'll be seeing all versions of that, and then going forward, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, Exorcist 3, Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist, and Exorcist, The Beginning, bringing Rennie Harlan back to us. I'm really excited for the series. Me too. I mean, I'm a Rennie Harlan fan, as those who got our Deep Blue Sea podcast know. <laughs> but will you be after you see Exorcist the beginning? I have hope. I have hope. And this is going to be a donation series. We are starting our Halloween donation series again. We wanted to thank everyone who's donated. It's 10 or more because it's a donation. We're not selling podcasts, but if you donate 10 or more, you get The Exorcist. And we're going to tell you, last time we did a mystery number, this time we will say 25 or more will also get you The Thing. Yes. What thing? The thing from another world thing. It sure as hell is not going to be Fantastic Four thing, because I ain't watching anymore. Or man thing? <laughs> no! <laughs> but I will definitely rewatch John Carpenter's thing, as well as its original 1950s thing from another world, or this new reboot, prequel, quasi-sequel, whatever it's going to be coming out in theaters October 14th. I'm down for all three. I'm really excited, and I think that one's going to be worth what we're asking. So we're going to be releasing a bonus podcast each week to donors, and again, these donations help keep Now Playing going. So this Friday, Exorcist 1 comes out, 
and one per week after that going through all through October with bonus podcasts if you do the 25 or more and this really does help keep us on the air helps us pay for our bandwidth you know our expenses keep going up the more listeners we have and so we need the donations to keep going up so we can keep bringing you the shows and keep seeing the movies and keep doing bonus shows like we did with Final Destination so thank you for your support and just remember it's a donation we're not selling podcasts we'll always have totally free Tuesdays and then bonus donation Fridays but the free one's Blade 3 right well Blade Trinity <laughs> I think you want to find the tin box personally but you have the Holy Trinity this Friday and then the Blade Trinity next Tuesday I see symmetry <laughs> Find the tin box, people. We appreciate it. Thank you. So thank you very much. You can find that donate button at the bottom of nowplayingpodcast.com. At the top of nowplayingpodcast.com, you can find our archives with all of our older regular series, including a lot more Marvel movies, Fantastic Four, X-Men, and the Marvel Misfits, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, and Kick-Ass, as well as non-Marvel series, such as Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and many more. And also at the top of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find the forums link. Come to the forums. Tell us what you think of our podcast. Tell us what you think of the Blade series. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where we post episode announcements and movie mini-reviews. All of the links at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. You bet. We'll talk to you next week, suckheads. It started with Blade, and it ended with him. The rest of us were just along for the ride. Thank you for listening to the now playing Blade movie retrospective series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. So where am I supposed to go? Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week as we review another Blade film. She likes to listen to MP3s when she hunts. Me, I'm more of a David Hasselhoff fan, you know? And while at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners and read Arnie's reviews of Blade the TV series. A new review will be posted in the forums each day during this retrospective series. Some kind of archive. This must be where they keep most of their records. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as X-Men and Fantastic Four, as well as non-comic book-based series including Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, Tron, and many more. We also have individual movie reviews of films like Green Lantern, Avatar, Cowboys and Aliens, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Try some. You might like it. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes, and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's time you fucks contributed something to the cause. Don't be a bloodsucker. Donate to Now Playing. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. How do you think that we fund this organization, huh? We're not exactly the March of Dimes. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. So, can we just go right ahead and sign you up for one of our secret Night Stalker Dakota rings? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping at our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. And that's basically turning a frown upside down. Now Playing's Blade Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Now this here is a man who takes his job 
just a little too seriously, don't you think? Now playing credit narration by Brock. Sounds good to me. Now playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or New Line Pictures. The Marvel characters in all of the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Damn it, Blade. Don't you see what they're doing? They're waging a goddamn PR campaign. Now it's not just vampires we gotta worry about. We're gonna have to take on the rest of the world, too. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Didn't know this was a popularity contest. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Now walk away, bitch. Walk the fuck away. It's not over. There's still a war going on. And I have a job to do. Kuchiko. And is that a big phallus coming out of your mouth, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> I don't know what that means. You didn't watch the film? <laughs> I don't remember. What are you doing? Is that a phallus coming out of your mouth? They have oh, this big okay. alien protrusion oh, thing. okay. I thought that was a lot. I mean, you say Blade. I'm thinking of his, you know, okay. Right. <laughs> I'm like, God damn. Make it avert. Um, let's do... <laughs> God, what, what am I doing? The line is, this is Stuart in L.A. <laughs> this is a problem for vampire elder Eli Damascus. Oh, I hate this name. I do, too. <laughs> How do you pronounce his name, Stuart? Damaskios? Uh, I feel like there might be another syllable in there. I, so do I. Damaskinos. Like Damas- Damaskinos. Yeah, four. Okay, all right. Damas- right. Damaskinos. Damaskinos. Yeah. The faster Here's you say problem it, with Damas- the faster you say it, the better it goes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here's my problem with Damaskios. Ski nose, they nose, give the guy- like Nosferatu. Okay. Kuchiko. But yeah, 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 I just really go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, Arnie, Arnie, did you hear that? Oh, yeah. I did. Okay. You're what, all what? robot. No, you're really bad. I'm bad the worst bad. I've ever heard. It's we can't even understand you. You should record the credits with that voice. <laughs> Why didn't this happen during your Transformers? Mm-hmm. You done the yeah, whole thing truly. Prime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, did Rambo get laid? I think he did in one of those films. Yes, he did. You can go back and listen to the archives. (laughs) He's my comparative, really, of just like someone that really... But does Wolverine get laid? Yes. Oh, yeah. He's got the teacher. I I don't know. uh, I I don't recall the Wolverine film. I've excised that from my mind. But at least the character in the comics. Yeah, he's a player. Well, in the movies, he he has that... uh, That's right. He has... Yeah, he has the girlfriend that betrays him. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't thinking of origin so much as the other X-Men movies. But, <laughs> yeah, the good I, ones. I, the, yes, the ones that I want to see again. I mean, he was always trying to hook up with uh, Jean Grey, or Earl T. Grey, as you call it. Yes. Earl Grey T., as you call yes. it. Yes, yes, that's true. There was... Kuchiko. You know, when he lets Karen... I, don't, I guess I can't say suck him off. You can when say he, it, it's okay. <laughs> I can't... Kuchiko. Do either of you guys recognize Chupa? I guess I'm the only Fast and Furious fan in the room. I guess so. We could both be newbies if we ever do that series. <laughs> or you guys can do it without me. <laughs> well, Kuchiko. he's just one cunt hair away from Hillbilly Heaven. <laughs> I'm quoting Chupa. Yes, I like that line. I wrote that one down. <laughs> wow. I didn't remember that line from the movie, and I'm usually the one who would remember that. <laughs> they dropped the C word, and you didn't remember it. Yeah. I know it. <sighs> if it was a, a, a 12-year-old girl saying it, you would have remembered it. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
<laughs> Hell, it would be in the opening credits. Yeah. <laughs> Gucci go. Thanks a lot, suckhead. And then that's his line. I know. You <laughs> then don't take it. <laughs> what, what I was looking for. Gucci go.